So we're finishing out our last week in Gospel Human Flourishing. Over the last several weeks, we walked through several installments uh, of content around Gospel Human Flourishing. We've talked about work. We've talked about justice. We've talked about lament. We've talked about generosity, among other things. If you've been out, I uh, would really encourage you to kind of be up to date with, with this series. It's been important for us to navigate through. We've been using Jeremiah 29 Verse 7 is kind of the baseline text for us. It says, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And we believe that God has sent us as sojourners, uh, and that's true of all followers of Jesus, into the world to make it better, to see humans flourish, not by guilt, not by fear, but because of his grace and the gospel. And so we've been walking through that over these last several weeks. And so we're going to be finishing out the series this morning with a vision of shalom. Everybody say Shalom. Shalom. Very good. Um, our, I'll begin here. Our understanding of creation, like what happened in the beginning, actually shapes how we understand human flourishing. Our understanding of creation has a significant effect of how we view human flourishing. Think about it. If, if humans matter, if people matter, the question is why? Why do humans matter? Why do humans matter more than animals? Why do humans matter as the highest ones who deserve dignity and honor? Well, it's traced back to the beginning. It's traced back to how we view the beginning. The secular view of creation is similar to our natural uh, intuition, which is survival of the fittest. To advance yourself at the expense of others um, the default mode of the human heart is to label some as barbarians. And so Stephen Hawking summarizes and fleshes this out really well when it comes to a secular view of creation. He says that the human race is just a, a chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet. So the effects of that shape how we view the dignity of humanity and how we view the value of the human life. See, human flourishing will always be biased if this is the baseline. But the Bible gives us a, a clarity into the creation narrative. It tells us with, with much clarity what this thing looks like and how it began. Whether you read Genesis 1 uh, poetically or literally, the point is the same. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This shapes how we view this little rock called planet Earth. This shapes how we view our neighbors and the value that they have regardless of the socioeconomic background or color of their skin. See, the creation account gives us so much clarity into who we are and why we are here. So consider this. There are many creation accounts as you study uh, the history of the world and as you study different people groups. Many creation accounts see the, creative, uh, the creation narrative uh, beginning with conflict. Most creation accounts view the creation, uh, creation narrative with, with conflict, with, with struggle, with warring cosmic forces. That's how most see the beginning to be. So for example, uh, a Chinese account, the primordial uh, giant Pengu, uh, emerged from the ancient cosmic egg. And when he died, his body parts became our world and beyond. His eyes became the sun and the moon. His body became mountains. His blood became waters. His muscles became the land. And his beard obviously became the forest. And so that's a, an account. We have an account, an African account, which is this, a giant who got sick, and I'm going to have to say this here, but it's true, he vomited out the earth. It's very startling, this beginning creation narrative. 
A Gnostic account taught that that God was unknowable, this high God. So a lesser deity uh, created the world and it created this material world and it's profoundly flawed. That's how some view the world to have begun. There's a mythological account that the god Odin killed the, the giant Emir and used his body to create the universe. This tension, this conflict, this power struggle, and it created the world. Lastly, the Babylonian account of Enuma Elish tells a similar account of the god uh, Murdoch who defeats the ocean goddess uh, Tiamat and produces the world from her members. So conflict, power, tension were necessary in many creation stories. And your understanding of humanity is shaped by how you view the beginning. But the biblical creation account comes in stark contrast. It's very different than many different creation accounts. Only the creator existed in the beginning. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They existed not in rivalry with each other, but in harmonious love with each other, and they created the world from that place. He wasn't a warrior trying to defeat another deity. No, instead, he was an artist who painted a picture. He was a, like a sculptor who was shaping a pot. See, our God, the biblical God, is a craftsman. Which makes sense why Jesus was a carpenter. We see that he was creating, and yes, we have kids downstairs, praise God for many of them. But we see that in the beginning, God, he created with with order and with purpose and with dignity and with value. He created the heavens and the earth and created humanity uniquely. See, God says to Job in Job 38, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and marked out its dimensions? It's intentional, it's harmonious, it's purposeful. See, he took raw matter and he built this planet and these galaxies like a craftsman would take wood and build a house. The world is not a result of powerful random eruptions, but it's like a fabric, a woven cloth with innumerable threads put together with purpose and with design. See, God created all things with beauty, with harmony, with this beautiful tapestry of interdependent relationships. And this interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom. So when you understand the interdependent nature of creation, and when you understand the the design by which God created all things, then we begin to understand what shalom is. So let's make sense of shalom. The Hebrew word is shalom, and then the Greek word, which is the New Testament version, is uh, arene. And it's translated into what we know of in the English language as peace. Peace. But shalom means much more than peace. When we think of peace, we can think of a a peace treaty that's kind of causing two parties to to stop fighting and, and kind of avoiding conflict. But when we hear peace from this word shalom, it means so much more than that. A few uh, verses for us to consider this morning. In Isaiah 9, starting in verse 6, it says this. I'll read it from here. For to us a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. You can keep going. Of the increase of his government and of shalom, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so this prince of shalom who will bring forth shalom is what Isaiah is prophesying. We, we fast forward in Isaiah 29 verse 7. It says, but seek the welfare of the city. This is the baseline of this whole series. The welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare or, or shalom. You will find your welfare or shalom. There's a connection of shalom here. And then in the New Testament, we see Luke 2 uh, verse 14 right after Jesus has come. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, the Greek version of the shalom is uh, earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's this promise of this shalom, this harmonious reality that we're talking about here. If we fast forward to Romans 5, 1, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace, this arene, this shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And then Romans 16, lastly, it says, but the God of peace, arene or shalom, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So this shalom, this statement, this promise is, this, it means a complete reconciliation, a state of the a fullness of flourishing in every dimension. It means this interdependent uh, flourishing of physical and emotional and social and spiritual because all of these relationships are, are interdependent with each other. This is the biblical vision of the design of creation and where this world is heading under the lordship of Jesus. See, God created everything beautiful to be connected with each other. And when one thing is off, everything is off. And shalom is designed to bring that reconciliation back to, uh, into order. So when one aspect is off, all is off. And so personally, if you think about your life personally, when your body fails to work interdependently, you experience the loss of physical shalom, which can oftentimes cause you to experience sickness. When your body is off and it's not working together in the way that it was designed, it can oftentimes lead to sickness. When one aspect breaks down, there is not shalom. Socially, we see this as well. Who's watched It's a Wonderful Life? About half of us. So what we need to do during Advent is we need to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Okay? This is just not okay. It's black and white, I get it, but come on. Come on, guys. There's a guy named George Bailey, and his family runs this savings loan company in a small town of Bedford Falls, New York. And he provided fair and reasonable rates to the people that came into his shop. And when loans couldn't be paid for, he would show consideration to them. He wasn't hard on them. He would work with them. As the CEO, George's bottom line could have been higher, but he chose to care for others at the expense of his bottom line. The flourishing of his customers was, was a priority. 
He didn't get rich off of his job, and it ended, led him down this pretty dark moment, if you remember the movie. And he had this dream, and in the dream, uh, he began to think about what Bedford Falls would have looked like if he wouldn't have cared for people and instead would have maybe cared for the bottom line, or if he wouldn't have existed. See, without his efforts, Bedford Falls would have lost its social shalom. And he cared for the flourishment of people at the expense of money. And he allowed his care for people to cause this shalom to take place in Bedford Falls. See, when society disintegrates, when it breaks down, crime and poverty and family breaks down, there is no shalom. However, when people share their resources... We talked about this with the early church. When they share their resources, the, the, it leads to the common good. I'm not referencing higher taxes, but with higher generosity. When people become more generous with their lives, it leads to social shalom within the context of where we live. See, when we allow our blessings our finances, our time, and our energy to be used to help others out. It causes a social shalom to take place within our community. The shalom is this future vision of the kingdom coming, and it motivated the early church, and it's designed to motivate us here and now. So the biblical story doesn't end with this vision of shalom. It also tells us that shalom has been lost. It's been lost in the garden. When humanity rebelled against God, when humanity rejected his rule, when we rejected his kingdom, there was devastation and this deep comprehensive fracture that took place. When we lost our relationship with God, the whole world stopped working. It broke down and shalom was lost. But again, Isaiah, he promised a day of a king coming, this prince of shalom, who would bring forth shalom, and he would cause true, full shalom to take place on the earth. The prince of shalom, he showed up. And the one who, uh, who wasn't just this promise of shalom, he brought forth shalom, and he brought peace with God. He brought shalom with God between humanity and God through his cross and resurrection. He restored the broken relationship uh, between humans and their creator. And so we see that Jesus in Ephesians 2 is our shalom. He is our peace. In Ephesians 2, starting in verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. That, that Greek word arene, that Hebrew word shalom. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus came to bring forth this promised shalom. And now the church is called to create that shalom. The church is now deputized to create that shalom in the world. That's why human flourishing matters to us. Not because of guilt, not because of fear, 
Because Jesus, the Prince of Shalom, who's going to one day bring forth the fullness of Shalom, has promised that we can be a part of that Shalom here and now. We are called to be the bringers of this peace, this Shalom. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, the Shalom makers. See, the church is not summoned to just sit back and wait till heaven, but we're called to engage this world and to be a part of bringing forth shalom to cause humanity to flourish, taking what is broken, mending, restoring. That is shalom. So how does shalom intersect, intersect with, with biblical justice and human flourishing? We've talked several weeks ago about what justice is, and to do justice, defined several weeks ago, is to represent God's heart by making wrongs right, holding the unjust accountable, seeing to it that the wronged are made whole, uh, communicating that there is a better day to come. So when justice is communicated biblically, it's focused on four groups. We talked about the quartet of the vulnerable, the, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. So justice from a biblical perspective means that in, in a way uh, we are seeking to cause uh, society to flourish and humans to flourish. Doing justice is to go to places where the fabric is broken and bringing forth healing in those broken places. Like someone that's, that's, um, that likes to weave or likes to uh, do yarn stuff, losing the word here, but just roll with me, uh, knit to knit. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and so imagine if there are threads that have been cut. We're designed to come in and be that thread to bring strength to society. That's what the church is designed to do. That is what shalom is. We, we weave and strengthen the fabric by weaving ourselves into society, by being a part of that, by being generous with our lives. Reweaving means to sacrificially thread and to lace and to press uh, uh, with our time and with our goods and with our resources for the needs of others. Not from guilt, not from fear, but allowing God's grace to just hammer into our hearts in such a way that changes us and causes us to say, because you've been so generous, I want to be generous and I want to care for those that live around me, even if I don't think they deserve it. See, Jesus came on the scene. He wasn't aloof to injustice. Jesus knows what it's like to be a victim of injustice. The most unjust act in human history was the cross. He knows what it's like to stand up to power, to face corrupt systems, and then in the end to even be killed for it. John Stott says like this, he said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? And God came so far to bring forth shalom. And this is the life that we're invited into as followers of Jesus. I don't know what you've learned about the gospel. Maybe it's just a gateway to get into to have that ticket so you can avoid hell. I mean, if that's it, it's, a, it's, it's sad. That's a sad reality that Jesus didn't invite us into. He invited us into so much more than that, that we can have abundant life here and now. An abundant life looks like giving of our lives. And in giving of our lives, we actually find life. That's what Jesus has invited us into. He entered our world not with rights and privileges, 
but as someone who's acquainted with pain. And we're invited to enter into the world, to be that space of shalom, to to reweave broken places to provide hope and to provide healing. Friends, the Bible begins with a beautiful creation story. It articulates why this world has fallen. It tells us who the hero is, and it gives us a picture of future shalom where King Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth. And I want to close our time by looking at Revelation chapter 7, a future vision of what is to come. In verse 9 of chapter 7, it says, John says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Until that day, we pray your kingdom come. Until that day, we seek for his kingdom to come, for shalom to come, motivated by the grace of our Lord Jesus. This is what we are made for. This is the purpose that you long for, to enter into tension, to enter into the conflict of our day where we have two polarized uh, parties and we enter in and we say, there's a third way. The third way is we follow Jesus and we look a little bit like the party here and we look a little bit like the party here and yet yet there's there's a kingdom that we're living for and there's a kingdom that we're following and we're looking for that shalom to come and that motivates us to care for people that are different than us. That's what we're talking about when we talk about gospel human flourishing, allowing the gospel to motivate us to see humans flourish, to see our city renewed by the goodness of our Lord Jesus. Friends, we have work to do. We've purpose here and now. And as we close this out, each of us, I would invite each of us to consider what this looks like for us. We've been spending the last, what, eight weeks on this. Man, it would be sad if we were just hearers. Be sad if we were like, oh, that was neat. That one thing was, was neat. The thing that when he forgot to, to know what it looked like to knit, that was, that was a neat point. I really was impacted by that. Uh, no, if, that, if that's all we get out of this, it's, it's, it's sad reality. But we don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. We want to allow this to shape us and say, okay, if the gospel is more than just getting me into heaven, it actually invites me to follow Jesus. And actually invites me to, to be with him, become like him, and do what he does. What does that look like to do what he does in my world? How can I be more like Jesus in that way? I invite you to consider that, what that looks like for you. In different seasons of life, it looks like different things. But as the church, we also want to take steps. So we've been talking about this over these last couple of weeks, but on June 13th, which, yes, is next Sunday, uh, we're going to be doing something different than what we typically do on a Sunday morning. We're going to be pausing our kind of traditional gathering and we're going to come together. We're going to have donuts, and so that's neat. We're going to have coffee, which is also neat. We're going to come together at 9 o'clock. And so the 10 a.m. thing starts on the 20th. So 9 o'clock this upcoming Sunday, right about 167 hours from now. Quick math. And so we're going to come together, and I'm going to share for like 10 minutes. We're going to come in here, share for 10 minutes, and then we're going to scatter into our community. 
We got a chunk of people that are going to be going to Brumby Elementary School. And we got 10,000, 10, 10 tons of rock that are waiting for us. We have tons of mulch waiting for us. We have tons of pine straw waiting for us. And we're going to be beautifying their property. This is a, an attempt of a long journey of building a quality, long-term, faithful uh, presence and, and uh, relationship with Brumby Elementary School. So we need a chunk of you to come with your sweatbands on and a shovel and your wheelbarrow and to come and, and be a part of helping beautify Brumby. We need like 30 of us to do that. And so we have, that's one opportunity. You're gonna go and you're gonna get sweaty. We might have some Gatorades for you. We might not. We'll at least have waters to be continued. And so that's gonna be uh, at Brumby. We need, we need a chunk of you for that. That's gonna be a part of what we do. We're also gonna be uh, working with First Care uh, Women's Clinic. And so this is a ministry that we've been part of for a long time. We need 12 of us uh, to come. And we're going to be working with, they, they work with moms that are pregnant, that don't have a partner that's able to help them. And they've even questioned if they should have an abortion and they're choosing to move forward with the pregnancy. And they really help the moms along the way. And so we want to go, we want to kind of help them with some things, logistical things, some cleaning things, some organizational things. Uh, and, and we need 12 of us to be a part of that. So we'll come and then we'll scatter and we'll, a chunk of uh, 12 of us will go to a First Care Women's Clinic. We have another group that's going to be here on site. We're going to be working with Elena Angels, which is a wonderful ministry who's partnering with foster families to support and to bring strength and help and hope to foster families. And one of the things that uh, First uh, Atlanta Angels does is they provide love boxes where uh, these boxes filled with goodies for the families, for the biological families, for the foster kids, for the parents, to just bring encouragement to those families. And so uh, next Sunday morning, we're going to be doing about 21 love boxes. We're going to be, and this is specifically designed for families with younger kids. And so you're going to have a station where you're putting, assembling all the stuff in the box. Uh, next station where we're decorating those boxes, and then another station where we're going to be writing notes to the families. And so that afternoon, uh, and so you guys sign up for one of those things on that Sunday morning at sojournalline.org uh, slash serves Sunday. And so we have a sign up genius, and we need you guys to sign up so we know who's going to be at what, and we can give clarity to you on what you need. And so I don't see anybody looking at this website right now. And so just maybe write that down, sojournalline.org slash serves Sunday. We want to make sure that we sign up for that. And then uh, the last thing that we're going to be doing is that afternoon, this is specifically for uh, Sojourn Kids volunteers who have already um, been through our background checks, uh, is we're going to be having all those 21 boxes are going to 21 parents who are foster parents, and they're going to be coming that sun next Sunday afternoon for a workshop. And we just, we're going to love on them. They're going to have a workshop that's going to encourage them, uh, that's led by Atlanta Angels, and we're going to be able to just uh, support and, and have a chunk of our volunteers serving downstairs, those foster uh, biological kids and foster kids downstairs while the foster families are up here in this workshop. So we have a variety of things that we're going to be doing next week. And so I would encourage you, if you're going to be in town, uh, again, don't take a pass for this, but uh, where you're able to, to, to plug in and sign up if, if you are able. Uh, we will not have Sojourn Kids. Uh, uh, so, so just for clarity, that's, we're not going to be having Sojourn Kids during that time. And so you'll be walking with your kids through whatever this looks like. So maybe, maybe you have someone that uh, one parent stays home with the kids and another comes to help if that's what you need to do. But be creative with that. But we want to we take a step as a community. 
We're going to take a step and serve some of our ministry partners to plug in in that way. So, again, Jesus has invited us to be a part of this vision of shalom, to, to be a part of restoring fabrics that are broken in our society and to see humanity flourish. I'd love to be, amen. Uh, I would love to end our time by praying for Jesus' kingdom to come. Praying for it to come now and longing for that day when it comes again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this vision that this world and death and sickness and cancer and betrayal and pain and sorrow don't have the last words. Death doesn't have the final say. We thank you that you will come again and you will swallow death forever. And you will make everything sad come untrue. And Lord, we long for that day. We remember that the best is not here. The best is still to come. And Lord, we want the kingdom to motivate us to be sent into our worlds. We don't want to just live in silos. We don't want to just live in these spaces of isolation. We want to be a part of the purpose of the kingdom and advancing the kingdom here on earth. We want your kingdom to come here now. We want this area Brumby and First Care Women's Clinic and the foster care around Metro Atlanta. We wanted to look a little bit more like heaven. We want to be a part of being a generous people here and now. We ask you to stir our hearts and move in us, not with guilt, not with fear, but just out of an overflow of the grace that you've given to us. Would you motivate us? Stir us to follow you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.